won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, Sips and Sibs, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 85 and was recorded on August 21st and made available for download August 25th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Jeff. And I'm Tony. So what do we have this week, Tony? In this week's Squawk Box, we're checking in on our modular mascots. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update around the Verse 57 and 10 for the Producers, Episode 11. And if CIG gets around to updating their website, maybe a little something else. Thanks to Jeff and his sex den shenanigans in Nuggets for Nuggets, we're forced to attend more health and safety training. Way to go, Jeff. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Sits and Sibs, you can help us bring you more of the show you love by visiting our website, guardfrequency.com, and clicking on the Patreon button. For the low, low price of $1.25 per episode, you can become a backer and get access to the unedited recordings of the show a whole three days before our Tuesday release. Of course, we're happy to share our labour of love with you each week free of charge, but it is nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We thank the folks who have already chipped in, and we hope you consider making a regular contribution. Because the more support we get, the better show we can make. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Switch to normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. With all the talk about mission swapping and room swapping and Jeff swapping other things... I thought we'd check in with our modern examples of the kind of go-anywhere-do-anything combat craft we can't wait to fly in the verse. Regular listeners will recall the Scorpion ISR fighter was scheduled to fly with Her Royal Majesty's French Frontier Defense Ministry this month. The twin-engined Little Scout flew with the 849 Naval Air Squadron of the Royal Navy in both airborne early warning and intelligence search and rescue missions, carrying both sensor suites in its belly bay simultaneously if the gorgeous photos of the exercise are to be believed. The British flew along with the home-licensed version of the Sikorsky SH-3 Sea King, which first flew in 1961, like the Nimrod. Nimrod. Seriously. The 50-plus-year-old WS-61 Sea King will be retiring. Final flights are scheduled in 2016. But also, somehow, it is not retiring, because its successor aircraft, the Augusta Westland AW-101 Crow's Nest system, that won't be ready until 2018. So, uh, your royal highnessness, maybe uh, buy a few scorpions in the meantime. Speaking of military procurement nightmares, the F-35 finally fired an actual weapon! Hey! It's four-barrel General Dynamics GAU-22-A Gatling gun. Uh, that holds fewer than 200 rounds. Uh, that's currently equipped on only one of its three variants. That it really shouldn't use in aerial combat because if it ever got within gun range, a 40-year-old Air National Guard fighter could kill it three or four times over. And it also shouldn't use it in close air support because of the aircraft's extreme fragility and exorbitant expense. Oh, 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 but there is good news. All 181 25mm rounds fired without a hitch, from the opening of the stealth firing cover to the last muzzle flash. 
Bad news, of course, um, it was sitting stock still on a runway while doing it. Oh, but don't worry, don't worry, the onboard software was simulating flight conditions. So, um, you know, an actual flight testing will start this fall. So if all goes well, the internal gun of the F-35A will be combat ready sometime in 2017. Then I guess we start on the external gun pod for the B and C variants, which trade a loss of stealth capability for more ammo for the fighter's gun. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah, the Navy and Marine versions of the radar evading plane will lose some of their stealthiness, but be able to carry an additional 39 rounds. I gotta go lie down. <laughs> so, you know, some things going well, some things going not so well. You know, it's a balance, it's a trade-off. I can't believe they, they couldn't design this. I, I, uh, God. Honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a gun that fires 3,300 rounds per minute, right? I mean, you don't want to take a lot of time shooting things, right? I mean, you want to make sure you get it done in less than six seconds. You know, you want to make sure that you're, you're skosh ammo in less than six seconds. I mean, you don't want to have that just weighing you down as you fly. Half a second trigger pull, done. You want to be done with, with, right. with, with that. But you've That's, only got like three yeah. half second trigger pulls. Right. Okay, now you have to do math. Okay, hold on. That's 0. .0548 minutes, three seconds. Yeah. 3.29 seconds. It's one of those sad things, you know, like six countries have ordered a plane that doesn't work, that has guns that don't fire, and had bombs that don't fit in its bomb bays, and yet there's this little airplane out there that's like a tenth of the price and costs, uh, you know, a fiftieth of the amount of money to fly per hour, and nobody's ordered any yet. Yet. I'll have, Just, a, word with, uh, I'll have yeah. a word with Lizzie, see what we can do. Yeah, see, see what she, I mean, come on, it's like she could like shake the couch cushions in Buckingham. And come up with you know a squadron of these yeah. things, right? Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. Three one seven five Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for August twenty first, two thousand fifteen, is eighty seven million six hundred forty seven thousand, up about another four hundred thousand this week. Star citizens now a number in the nine hundred and sixty five thousands, up again another four thousand, and the UEE fleet has grown by three thousand ships to seven hundred and fifty three thousand. A nice steady little week from uh, last week's huge gains. The latest episode of Around the Burst number 57, I believe it was, is out, and Sandy once again joins Ben to bring us all the news from the CIG studios and letting us get one step closer to the folks making the game. This week, several interesting bits of news caught our attention. Firstly, the release of the social module will be to the PTU, and only made available to a few thousand backers first before releasing it to everyone. They'll have more info on this soon. Trademark. Secondly, the Austin team tells us that this week the animation team is starting on a specific bespoke skeleton for a character in Squadron 42 who shall go unmentioned, followed by custom skeletons are being created for each hero character to get them more proportionate to the people that played those characters. Which leads one to inquire, who do we know who was in Manchester earlier this year that has ties to the Wing Commander franchise and might just be making an appearance. Hmm. 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 Indeed. Finally, the team over in the UK talked to us about asteroids. The number of asteroids they wanted to have on screen was causing them a uh, performance problem. And uh, don't worry, gents, the ED guys know that feeling. It's Hey-o! Wee! 
Although the tech hasn't been finalised yet, the guys managed to use a new system to combine many meshes together to increase the performance and reduce the rendering time from 20 milliseconds down to 1 millisecond, which is required to make the game playable. And finally, finally Ben lets us all know that one of the most frequent questions asked on the Reverse the Verse is, where's my ship? Well, there's now a handy forum thread that lists the status of every single ship that will link you in the show notes. Turbulent are working on turning this into a web page that you'll be able to visit on the RSI website. But no news on an ETA. Yeah, the news about asteroids. Um, this might seem like a really almost insignificant thing to report on, but I just wanted to take a moment and just talk about how monumental this actually is. I mean, taking it from 20 milliseconds down to 1 millisecond, most people can probably figure out that that would just lead to an increased frame rate, and everybody knows that FPS is a good thing. But maybe I'm, I'm like preaching to the already converted here, but I wanted to just take a moment to go over, you know, what does FPS actually mean? And obviously it actually means frames per second, but you know, what is a frame? What goes on in there? And the reason why this is such a cool thing that they've managed to do, because if you think about Star Citizen as a whole, the game is going for a level of fidelity that we just haven't seen elsewhere. So you know full well that Chris wants this game to run at like 60 FPS minimum. You know, that's like the latest hotness. YouTube now let you upload 60 FPS videos. It makes everything super smooth. It just looks really good. Now, 60 FPS, when you take a single second of that. What that basically means is obviously that the screen has to update itself 60 times every second, which is approximately 15 milliseconds that you've got. Now, when you're doing something like a space game, that might not sound like too difficult a thing to do. You know, you've got 15 milliseconds to render a screen, most of it's space, there's a few rocks, whatever, it's it'll be fine. But what a lot of people don't really consider is that out of that window that you've got, firstly, the speed of electricity is going to take at least two milliseconds to send the info to the graphics card for it to render. So you've actually only got a 13 millisecond window in which to do everything that you need to do. And this isn't just a graphical update. During those 13 milliseconds, you've got to take into account everything from physics to animation to run with a scenario. You've got an enemy in front of you and an enemy behind you. You fire off a missile. You turn around to take out the one behind you. Even though that missile is impacting off screen, the AI still needs to know if that's been hit or not. And all of these calculations have to take place within that 12 millisecond window, along with the rendering of everything. So if an asteroid field was taking 20 milliseconds to render, for a start, they would probably have to slow down to 30 frames per second, which just wouldn't look as good. But now that they've got that down to a millisecond, it leaves so much more room for all the fine calculations that are required. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of the time issues that look like it might be netcode and things getting out of sync is actually issues like this, the rendering time for something. 20 milliseconds to 1 millisecond, if you blink, that's 200 milliseconds. That's a good couple of frames that you'd lose there. So the speed of these calculations and the fact that they've managed to improve the rendering process 20-fold is just absolutely huge. Anytime you can improve something by an order of magnitude... Yes. You have done yourself an amazing service by, by freeing up resources to do so many other things. Yeah, abs absolutely. And this is just one of those areas where now you can be pretty much guaranteed that you'll be able to fly through space. Uh, and apparently, if there's one thing that I've learned from playing all these space sims is that apparently space is very full of rocks. Pretty much every <laughs> system has, like, more rocks than you yes. I thought it was space, but apparently... Yes, yes, no, no. I've been it's working full under of, a, yes. They separate. should call it rocks. 
Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't call it space. Outer rocks. Yes. And so. Yeah, the fact that they can render the sort of asteroid fields, and the asteroid fields that they were talking about were the ones from the Arena Commander 2.0 demo, so it's a vast expanse of thousands of asteroids. We're not just talking, you know, a few space rocks, we're talking lots of space rocks. I want to talk about the ship list, broken down by manufacturer uh, in alphabetical order, which is nice. I'm appreciating this organizational structure. So we've got everywhere from up at the top, we have Aegis all the way down to the Vanduul, which I guess that's a manufacturer. You want to really get technical about it. So which ones are you waiting on? Uh, Lennon, you had the MISC Dur, is that right? Uh, Yeah, the Freelancer Dur. Freelancer Dur. Lennon, you are a uh, hangar ready. Remodel is in process, and exterior materials pass. Ooh. Yeah, so they are working on you right now. See, Jeff, what are you waiting on? You're waiting on the Andromeda. Uh, right now, you are hangar ready, and your damage states are being mapped. I, myself, am waiting on the Aegis Vanguard, and the concept is complete. Well, yes. So it's done nothing. So it's, it's still way down the pipeline. Oh, very sad. But yeah. better than the Avenger variants A, B, and C, who are still concept in progress, along with the Vanguard variant A and B. But we know from the news that we're going to be having a Vanguard sale next week, so hopefully uh, those concepts will be finished really, really soon for the sale they're supposed to have next week. So uh, we'll see that. Uh, let's see. What else we got? Anybody else interested in anything else? Uh, well, Idris? Not just that. On this ship's status page, the one bit that I did really like was down sort of towards the bottom. You've got an entire section called Manufacturer TBD. And this is obviously ships that they've got designs for that are in progress that aren't quite ready to be fully fleshed mm. out, attached to a manufacturer, including things like a Lynx rover, an Ursa rover. Those are planetary right. buggies. And then there's three untitled. There's a Carrick Scout, a Corvette, and a Reclaimer Cutter. Yes. Now, and like and mm. they have a P-72 snub fighter in concept right now. Yes, that's also in progress up above there too. So yes. a couple of interesting tidbits on there. The Corvette, that's interesting to me. I mean, it's likely to be one of the ones that's already been announced, right? Like the, uh, is it the Javelin? I keep... Javelin's the destroyer. The Javelin's the one bigger one. Right. Yes. This, yes. Is, this is the one that was, you know, the Idris was supposed to be a Corvette back in the but day. But then they and upgraded then, the size. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It became a frigate. So this is going to be the one that replaces what the Idris used to be. But I do like the proliferation of teeny tiny service craft. You know, the snub fighters and the, uh, yep. the reclaimer cutter, a little scout ship for the Carrick. So that's good too. Because they're going to have to do something with whole, you know, the shuttlecraft getting things from larger ships down to planetary surfaces or, or uh, space stations if you can't land on those things. I just saw something interesting on Anvil Aerospace. You remember the F-8 Lightning that we speculated on in a few shows back? Yeah. Concept complete in gray boxing. Oh, nice. nice. Well, that's one of the things they need for uh, Squadron 42, so that one hopefully gets done quickly. But they're not going to sell it to you, Jeff. I'm sorry. It's not for sale. It's for steel. Maybe for steel in the persistent universe, and then the UEE will come arrest you. But I'm, I'm sure they'll sell it at some point, but just not till the first round of Squadron 42 is over, I, I would say. All right, well, so uh, that will eventually turn into a real web page, and you'll be able to see where your ship is in the pipeline. If you have any favorites, the link is now in the show notes, so you'll be able to check it out yourself. 10 for the Producers episode 11 is now available for streaming at all good internet video stockists. This week, Darian Volick and Lisa Ohenian answer 10 questions from the subscribers and give us answers only the producers can. 
As always, we encourage you to watch the entire episode, and you can find links in our show notes, but we thought we'd discuss a couple of our favourite points. First up, citizen MF140884 asks about release dates, saying that companies are either releasing on-time half-finished, or they continually postpone, and they wonder what CIG are doing to combat this. I'm looking at you, Star Marine. Lisa steps up and says that, naturally, they're doing everything they can to stop the continual pushback of release dates, and that also the reason some games release on time in a half-finished state is because they're under a very tight schedule, usually from the publisher who's already put a lot of effort into marketing, media, and arranging physical distribution with the retail stores, and this is one thing that we know Star Citizen won't suffer from. Further, she adds that a lot of games will also have some sort of internal-only phase where they have the luxury of not mentioning what it is that they're working on or even announcing it until they've decided they can definitely commit to a date. But since Star Citizen started engaging its backers from day zero, that is just a luxury that CRG also don't have. And finally in our roundup, Citizen Dastardly asks, will there be anything other than support for network devices like tablets and the like, i.e. multiple monitors with touchscreens? I have a four-monitor SIM pit, and two of the monitors are touchscreens, and I would love the immersion of interfacing directly with the cockpit controls. And Mr. Vorlick tells us, whilst tablets are something that are in the works, we're not far enough along to be able to give a solid answer just yet. So, Jeff, it looks like your dreams of a 7-inch HPI touchpad playbook palm leaf droid acting as an interface will... What's, what's the phrase, Ben? The feature you have listed to me will definitely be happening. Hey, where's my Jeffatron that you also said that feature? That's right, that he actually did say that he was going to give us a Jeffatron in our hangers. Well, yeah. I, th- I think if you, if you recall, Jeff said, can it be named the Jeffatron? And he said, what was that? The Benatron. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, either way, the big fat leaderboard slash commodities prices slash interstellar flight schedule or thingy hanging up in your hangar that, that still needs to happen. CIG, we're still we're still counting on that to, to come around, but eventually, eventually, eventually. But I, 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 you know, I, it's interesting to me that they picked this question to ask that. What are you guys doing about the release schedule thing? And they continually make this point over and over. You remember if you, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it's one of the questions answered was, how come you guys keep answering these same questions over and over again? And the answer was, well, because not everybody has heard the answer before and the new people need to hear it. And the old people sometimes need to be reminded about it. Yeah. That this is the release schedule that they think they can stick to. And the public facing nature of the crowdfunding game is that they have to give us some expectations and when they don't give us expectations we get worried see what happened during uh, Chris's uh, directing time over in the UK so they have to give us something and what they give us is their best guess and their best guess is going to change and they don't have the luxury of keeping it under wraps yeah and that is also one of the advantages slash disadvantages of open development you know they're trying to be as forthcoming as possible without actually committing to anything and that's a really hard position to actually be in because like you said us being not only backers so having a vested financial interest in it but being fanboys you know Mm. we demand dates and then when dates don't get met we get you know throw our toys out of the pram start asking questions and then they have to come out and (laughs) say mommy why are there network code problems mommy yeah, exactly, I'm not happy. Right? And yeah, no, seriously, but that's what we do. So yeah. they're in a really awkward position where they have to try and give us dates without actually giving us dates. You know, kind of, kind of like the whole fly casual thing. Yeah, They've got yeah. to make it yeah. look like they're doing it without necessarily right. actually doing it 100%. So I also thought it was just good that the fact that they even addressed this again 
you know they're not afraid to tackle it they're not afraid to respond to why do you keep slipping on the deadlines yeah. which is even better especially when you know we're doing the open development thing everything is supposed to be as transparent as it can possibly be obviously there's still going to be some secrets but yeah i, I spent uh, the, over the last week i had the opportunity to speak to some um, some game developers professional ones not connected to this game and i told them that i was you know uh, doing the podcast on star citizen and they were like really and they had they had questions for me about it i'm like well sure i mean but you guys do this for a living right and they're like well you know, we, we don't follow it, but, you know, give us the skinny on it. And I'm like, okay. So I gave them some of my thoughts, and, uh, and they said, now, uh, they said, are they going to pull this off? And I said, well, they already did a demo. You know, they've already got the demo of the four big components working together already. So it looks like they've got the formula cracked. Now, whether they can propagate that out to everything uh, in the next, you know, few months, that's a different story, which is brings me back to what we were talking about in the previous section about the slow rollout of the social module which is, if you'll recall, how they rolled out the very first Arena Commander. They rolled it out to only a few thousand backers, watched to see if the network scaled properly, and then rolled it out to some more and rolled out to some more, and then very quickly gave opened it up to everybody. That's probably really smart, because the last time they did a major update and didn't do it like that, everything broke. Um, <laughs> so I applaud yes. them returning to this. You know, it's like, you know, the de- which, which poison do you want to take? And... You know, there were forum rages and all that kind of stuff. Well, they should, they should pick me because I've got a low backer number. Or they should pick me because I just backed just now, and you know, I'm I'm more active than you guys are. Just lazy golden ticket people. You know, what do you get? You know, well, just because you knew about it first, if I knew it back then, I would have done. Yeah, blah blah blah. Point is, is that they should accept those headaches rather than the headaches that come with breaking the whole thing by letting everybody have it all at once. I, I think that's a wiser way to do it, and. If it's October, great. If it's November, fine. If it's December, okay. If it's January 2016, okay. Okay, it's February. All right. If it's March, okay. You know, but we've done this before. We're gonna keep doing it again and again until it's also, done. It has become somewhat of a tradition here on Guard Frequency that when we have our New Year's prediction episodes, we always say, well, last year didn't quite go according to plan, but this year is probably going to be a bit of a trying year for the citizens. Um, <laughs> so if, they, if they don't delay something, we won't yeah. be able to say that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, or we're going to have a predict. This is our prediction show for our prediction show. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit meta. Ooh, I like oh, it. Yeah. So normally in the news docket, we have like three items, right, Tony? Yeah. I mean, yeah. what's... Typically. What, we've only had two this week. We've had Around the Verse 57 and yeah. 10 for the Producers Episode 11. Right. So where the f*** is the first person shooter module update? That is a fantastic question because we were promised one every week by the chairman. And like clockwork for the past few weeks, we've been getting it. But here tonight, when we went to go put the show notes together, all I could find was on the forums a quote from Disco Lando on August 21st, 2015, 10.22 p.m. Central Daylight Time. FPS Update and the Jump Point Magazine are both putting on their finishing touches. Well, that that's I, I, I'm we're I we I I'm at a loss for words. Obviously, I'm stuttering. I'm 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 speechless. We have no update. Yeah. So we're just gonna make one up. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. So I'll yeah. I'll read from the first bullet point, and then we'll take it in turns. We'll go around the table. Okay. Uh, just make one up, really. Yeah. Um, okay. So the good news is um, that, first of all, they've fixed all the netcode, and it will actually be dropping within the next 10 minutes. Oh, good, good. And uh, what is going to be delivered is not only the first-person shooter module, but an advanced copy of My Little Pony kicking ass in the fifth dimension, a new video game that they've been developing in secret in tandem. 
And I also understand that the Hyper Vanguard uh, game, little mini game, first you have to play that through and get uh, a couple levels before you can proceed into the. Oh, so it's an unlock. Okay, all right. Yeah, right. yeah. And and Chris Roberts will personally come around to your house, cook you dinner, and install the game for you. Oh, very nice, very nice. Mm. Also, um, refunds will be made available for everybody whose name begins with a D. That's just a new policy that they have. And that there are three Easter eggs in the update, including some of the wanting to know what actors are going to be in Squadron 42. Mmm. Spoiler yes. alert. Spoiler uh, alert. And just to confirm Jeff's spoilers, there is a hidden footnote that if you hover your cursor to the bottom of the page, uh, over the, the last little full stop in the sentence, it actually just comes up with a pop-up saying the force is strong with this one. <laughs> Very nice. Mm. Very nice. Okay. Mm. I liked our update. I think ours I, I was good. I preferred it, if anything. I thought I it was liked, much better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would much rather have our fake update than the sort of, you know, and, you know, animations aren't working right, and we got skeleton problems, you know, blah, 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 programming and code and stuff. I liked ours. And now it's time for News We Didn't Use. Plain Truth, Galactic Aid. Guard Frequency wishes to state that we have no affiliation with the GAO. A new work-in-progress gallery of the Kruger Merlin. Take a look at the paths not taken for this nippy little snub fighter. And meet the CIG Devs Episode 37 with Ben Lesnick from Wing Commander Fund, Director of Community Engagement, Online Strategy and Ship. business card keeps getting bigger and bigger it does it does eventually he's not gonna be able to fit it on he's gonna have to have like just a little sheet of paper hanging off the edge kind of like ticker tape you know just yeah yeah just the title like, keeps growing it's like one of those take a number dispenser things only you just keep pulling and pulling and pulling and all the things that he does comes out so director of community engagement online strategy and ships probably they're going to give him like uh, executive producer of all web content you know all web videos because uh, mm-hmm. he's on around the verse he's on reverse the verse uh, I'm sure he has a handle on uh, the bug smashers you know so he needs that title too and that brings us to this week's community question what ships were you hoping to see on the list and were they in the correct stages that you were hoping to see let us know your thoughts send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com now that we're all caught up with the latest news from around the verse, everyone head over to the break room for some safety training in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. recent spotlight put on muscular skeletal disorders caused by mining, we would like to mention that employee safety is always top of our workplace standards. However, to best deliver our safety goals, we here at Dharma have created a new and improved workplace ergonomics and safety training presentation with all the latest information. All Dharma-approved mining equipment is designed for maximum efficiency, whilst maintaining Universal Safety and Health Association minimum standards. Efforts are being made to go beyond the minimum standards and lead the charge in industrial safety to make workplace tools an area of ergonomic and safety excellence. Let's go to the production wall and let our team explain the proper ergonomics of using your mining tools. Anytime you retrieve your mining equipment from the specialized bolted-down storage bins, you'll note their trusty no-slip grips and safety guards. 
Tell them about the safety features, Worker 7517. Sure thing, Mr. Foreman. The shape of the tooling is designed to allow you to hold it ergonomically. Your wrist should be in line with the rest of your forearm so you can maintain a strong grip. If you bend your wrist too much, your ability to grip the tool is lessened considerably and you risk straining your muscles. No one wants you to visit the infirmary in case of repetitive stress injury. Think of all the lost production. Ha ha! Ha ha! Right you are, worker 7517. Notice these metal and plastic guards, and these redundant safety switches and auto shutdown grips. These design features are specifically installed to protect your hands and body from debris and from loss of control of the tooling. To protect your eyes and face, naturally you'll be wearing your Dharma-approved helmet, or head-enhancing, light-maintaining, environmental topper. All this may be a bit overzealous for a simple handheld mining laser, but redundant measures are what keep you safe when something goes wrong. Yes, quite, Mr. Foreman, and that's not to say you can't have a little fun with your company-issued mining equipment. Dharma-approved adhesive stickers and tasteful pin-striping kits are available at the company outlet store. Kittens, unicorns, and rainbows are particular favorites, and quite attractively bright, but be warned. Modifying any design feature of the tooling itself is highly discouraged, and some modifications can be violations of company policies if the safety mechanisms are bypassed. Let's go back to the wall and see what could happen if you don't make safety your first priority. Say there, Worker 7517. Why does your mining laser look different from everyone else's? Oh, hello, Mr. Foreman. I found the double-handed trigger tiresome because it reduced my productivity and efficiency. Using a single-handed trigger, I can update the logs with my free hand. Plus, I used only four centimeters of Dharma-approved all-purpose grip tape to ensure the Dharma grip loss interrupt sensor doesn't trip. That way, I don't have to hold it so tightly. You know how many lost workdays we have from carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, indeed. I'll just remove my helmet to look at your logs. Hmm, 86 kilos of extra production. Well, I suppose we can risk it. Oh, watch out! That rock is unstable! It's okay, Mr. Foreman. I got... Oops! My eyes! I'm blinded! Oh, a bit of debris landed on my wrist and the tool slipped from my hand. It's behind you. I can't reach it to shut it off. Ah! It's cut right through my glove or my... Gauntlet locks over vulnerable extremity. How is that even possible? Oh, I bypassed the throughput, Governor. So the power output is higher than most assault guns. We can't be too careful with all those Vandal Raiders about. I think you just cut off my hand. Fortunately, the heat from the laser was so intense, your arteries are already cauterized. No risk of bleeding out today, Mr. Foreman. And a good job that is, too. I hope you now see how important it is to consider safety first, even above marginal increases in productivity. And remember to report any injuries, even if they seem minor, right away. Blindness, maiming, critical blood loss, sure, it may seem like a minor injury now, but it gets worse later. And if you didn't report it, it may complicate its treatment or even delay compensatory payments to your beneficiaries. The Dharma Mining Corporation wants you to stay safe and stay working. So be safe so you can stay working. And be safe. And working. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? Roll police! 
So, let's just... be friendly! Some say his internal organs are modular, and before he purchased his liver, the space was simply inaccessible. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Everybody had a lot to say, so the Shiv applied his TLDRinator to remove repeated points and otherwise slim it down. Our apologies for deleting your poetry, everyone. And last week's community question was, Modules, what were your thoughts on the new system? Was it a step in the right direction, or should we go back to the old way that we also used to complain about? And Ostron writes in and says, I'm withholding the great show, only because you didn't pick the show title I was hoping for. <laughs> I would argue that it's actually cheaper at the moment for people who haven't decided what they want to do or who want to multitask. As Tony pointed out, someone who's not sold on the role can buy a blank hull and just wait for the modules. Or someone who wants to do bombing and and Moonlight as a cargo hauler can buy Bombay modules and cargo modules, rather than buying two separate ships. I'll reiterate the point I made in my previous comment though, I'm not sure if they're actually screwing themselves over in terms of incentive to get people to buy ships in the long run. Will this make single-use ships more pointless? Sean Newboy says, best use of ACDC's song ever. I love the modular idea, I think that's what they should have done from the start. Excellent show everyone. Haiku Nyes writes in and says, it's been my understanding that this LEGO room systems has always been the way CIG was going to be handling ships with rooms in them. Prior to that, I was under the assumption that ship variants were essentially bundle deals, where one would get a certain hull with different loadouts pre-installed. I'm not certain where, but I'm fairly sure that in one of the RTVs it was mentioned that you could install an Aquila semicircular front window onto a Taurus if you were so inclined. This is why Cutlass Gate didn't actually phase me because I was always under the impression you could swap around most any functional part of the ship, such as changing the power plant for one that has a lower capacity but a faster recharge, etc. And don't forget, anything and everything seen in the Pledge VD stores can be acquired via the in-game means in the Persistent Universe. P.S. Concerning Trackballs, the song, Don't Quit Your Day Jobs. <laughs> Adon writes in and says, Personally, I don't see the modular systems as a cash grab. If they made the base plus two Bombays cost more than the base tally, then it would be seen as one, but as is, I really like what they've done. I'm looking forward to what modules come out for the cutlass for me to pick up. Galen Lake Lotharine says, Great show, guys. I like the idea of modules, but can see where it could cause issues. As you all mentioned, when looking at ships that already have variants, it gets confusing how the modules will work. From my own somewhat selfish point of view, I'm concerned about the ships that are yet to be flushed out. Take my Banu Merchantman. We all know it's large and it's a trading ship, but how many modules can it hold? What size modules can it hold? And most importantly, what modules does my Merchantman come with by default? If all I purchased was a hull and I needed to outlay another $100 or more to get a usable ship, I will not be pleased. Sean Tabakin writes in and says, I would have no problem with the current model of monetizing the modularity if they discounted the price of the base ship without any modules. Put in the price of the modules that came standard at the time we purchased the ship, then allowed us to melt the modules for credits towards different modules. Example, base retaliator 190, torpedo base 42.50 each. Francois Versailles Poirot writes in and says, This week I'm a bit confused. Ha! I bet Leonard thought I was drinking the Concerned Descaler. 
Had someone asked me, I would have said that any ship that's cutlass or larger would be cut into sections, and entire sections can be changed, thereby changing the modular room options if available within them. A cutlass is maybe two sections, a head and a body, and the body has the med bay, pirate hold, or jail cell rooms optional, but externally it can have sensor array, tractor beams, or lights and sirens. Either way, I feel like it's not a great big deal to me, but I'm feeling like the left designers didn't know what the right designers were doing. Alas, things like this are what makes this whole project an adventure. P.S. I'm glad Tony let out his great balls of fire and can now come back to focus in on WTFITFPSMOMGBBQ. Stay classy, you freaky freaks. Titus Krager says, Absolutely love the show every week, guys. You're great. Well, Tony not so much, but Jeff makes up for the blooper reel. Heh. <laughs> yeah, hey yourself. The modularity issue is a realistic avenue for people that want to make their own special-use vehicle that best suits them. I wonder if too many people want all the ships to be all ships. In the Q&A, CIG makes it clear that this will not be possible. Note the bickering regarding cargo capacity. I go to my pickup to haul stuff and do work in. I go to my car to enjoy a nice drive while not worrying about the MPG burning a hole through my backside, yet neither can perform the other's roles in the same capacity as what they're designed for. You want to make your Honda Civic capable of hauling a cord of wood? Then have at it. But the modification to do so should take a long time and cost more than the car is worth, and even then it shouldn't last. This isn't Star MacGyver. The attraction in the Retaliator is in its ability to be the pickup of Star Citizen. It's why I feel Jeff's hot tub in his Connie is safe. Just don't ask me for a joyride in it. But I'll haul your couch if you need. Krill says, I bought an empty Retaliator with the intention of using Rec to fill it with modules before the Persistent Universe is available, once we can fly it in 2.0. As pointed out in your example with the expensive shield, the way these sorts of games always seem to work is to have the base unit be pretty cheap and equipping it costs many times as much as the best equipment. I expect all the modules to be pretty expensive, and I think it would be unwise to buy them. Much smarter to buy them in the Persistent Universe with the UEC. With the Constellation, note that the devs, not only Matt Sherman, have said that the variants aren't going away. People who are thinking that you'll be able to take your Andromeda and replace the cockpit with an Aquila version and the engine room with a Phoenix version are going to be disappointed. I think we're probably going to see two module sections, similar to the Retaliator, one in front right behind the cockpit and one in the middle of the ship in front of the engine room. I'm hoping they bring the concept down to smaller ships as well. A single module on an Aurora or a 300i, perhaps. Well, a lot of good feedback on yeah, that question. Yeah, a lot of good feedback. A lot of long feedback as well. Sorry if we didn't mm-hmm. uh, read your entire feedback, but some of them were essays and a half. Yeah, it, I mean, it is. it is, does get right at the basics of the uh, economy of the ships, though. You know, we've hemmed and hawed a great deal over what you can stick on the outside of your ship or on the inside of your ship to make it go. You know the the whole upgrades and and the uh, you know gear and stuff to make it happen. But this is this gets us to more of the point of the purpose of the ships. You know this is the why you're doing stuff, not the how you're doing stuff. And I think it makes a lot of sense to let the bigger ships have flexibility on the why you're flying them. I don't know if we're ever going to get down to the Auroras and the 300Is though, having modules to swap out. Yeah. It, it seems to make more sense to me that the smaller the ship you go the fewer jobs it really can be tasked to do. Scorpion ISR fighter notwithstanding. But uh, it seems to me like in in the universe that we're building here in this game, that seems to be the case. Well, there is one point I think we need to make clear, and and it it came apparent in a couple of these replies, is that the modules are different than 
say the engines and weapons and all the little external things that we you know power shields and, and other things i think when they're talking modules they're talking about task oriented facilities and that the ship components themselves of what makes it fly and the power plants and all that is a different system entirely no it's an excellent point i mean the engines and the weapons and the guns and the shields and those things are going to be based on the hardpoint system that they have in mind. I think that the module system is going to be a lot more bespoke, to use the word they use for a skeleton. It's going to be a lot more restrictive in terms of what ships can mount what gear and what modules can fit into what bays of the ship. It makes no sense for one manufacturer of engines to only fit on RSI ships. That doesn't make any sense. If you're making engines, you want them to fit on just about any ship with the right size, you know, nacelle. But for the med bay and the cutlass, maybe only cutlasses can mount this particular kind of med bay. And maybe med bay manufacturers just don't see any profit margins in making med bays for, let's say, Aegis vessels, just for, you know, just for fun. We'll call it Aegis. But and so we might see a lot less variety in what you can do with the ships, which kind of should arrest some of the concerns people have about, well, why buy a specialty ship if I can just get any kind of module I want to slap it into any kind of ship? I don't think that's going to happen. I think weapons and shields and engines can go anywhere, but I don't think modules are going to go everywhere. And you brought up a good in-game or persistent universe function. I mean, if you're Aegis and you're building a ship, you're going to design roles around what you want to produce or put out there for sale. And you're going to probably be smart enough to think, okay, what kind of modules do I need to fulfill the roles that I want my newest ship to fulfill? And you're not going to put an Aegis in, in an RSI you don't want that those modules to be in an RSI ship. Get down to the nitty-gritty, right? I mean, if you're designing a long-range bomber, you're going to have electrical hookups, data hookups, and a big frickin' door at the bottom of the thing so it can drop uh, its you know payload into space. You're not going to have plumbing. You're not going to have extra ventilation. And you're not going to have, you know, let's make up some science fiction-y things, you know, good inertial dampener fields so that wounded patients don't get jostled around while maneuvering. So it would make sense for you to put cargo bays or a sensor pod in that spot, but it would not make sense for you to put a hot tub or a medical bay in that spot, just because the designer of the ship itself would not have given you the right connections for those sorts of things to function. Krell goes on and says, in general feedback, with regards to the new SciTech sticks and sticks in general, there's an underlying problem that needs to be dealt with before any other controller stuff is really going to make a difference. The default mouse control mode, known as the interactive mode, offers the mouse a gameplay advantage that no other controller joysticks gamepads have access to. The player using IM is performing one activity, moving the reticle over the target. Whether doing that requires moving the weapon gimbals or turning the ship itself isn't something the player has to worry about, they're doing it only on a single action. In comparison, a player using a gamepad or a joystick requires two separate actions in order to control both gimbals and ship flight, and they must use two different controls, joystick and a track IR, dual sticks on a gamepad, joystick and a trackball, etc. Two separate actions. Until they deal with this, it doesn't matter how great the new SciTech sticks are. Ryokin says, good show. Not great, but good. The song at the beginning was cringeworthy, but I applaud the effort and innuendo. Speaking of that, the trackballs on the Hotas feels like a gimmick to me. 
the ball on the joystick looks like it's in a terrible position and won't be that useful unless it can be bound to other functions than attempting to mimic the mouse interactive mode. A ball on the throttle in the right spot could be more useful, though I remain a sceptic that the trackball's a little more than a gimmick that won't bring controller parity any closer and may make things worse if CRG expects that the only competitive HOTES for the game will have balls awkwardly placed around. As for the proposed high-end branded HOTAS, I love the X65 style throttle with buttons behind the throttle handle. The stick looks like the same mechanism in the X55, which is a cause for second thought since Cytec is not known for its quality in HOTAS, especially the X55. The OLED screen though, possibly touch, is a neat idea, though it would be better under the throttle, not under the stick, as I feel that I'm going to need to release the throttle to interact with the touch interface would be of less detriment to flight than having to release the stick itself. Commander Starlion says, Great show as always, guys. However, it's hard for me to accept that you guys are also excited with the SE brand of HOTAS being SciTech. The quality issue of Madcat's product has been unacceptable. The RMAs of the X55 is alarming, and those who don't get a DOA will see his $200 go to waste within a year when it dies. The accuracy of these joysticks is bad at best. I don't see at all a reason for trackballs here since they possess little detail that makes them useless. Trackballs do not recenter, and I really can't see it working. The touchscreen, oh my god, how am I supposed to use this when I'm holding my joystick? My forearm will be blocking the display, worse will be taking my eyes off the battle or the hand to press a button there. But what worries me more is the price point. The X65 is a $399 joystick with a touchscreen and a SC brand premium for the price. We could be talking $600 for a product that can't stand against the likes of the Warthog or a CH setup. And I won't even mention the keyboard as that is just a Strike 5 repaint, which the world knows is an awful joystick. As any decent Vulcan will tell you, it is illogical. Please, your podcast is always mature and intelligent. Do not succumb to fanboyism. Live long and prosper. P.S. Jeff is the best. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, okay. Shiv crossed that last part out. Clearly, some kind of typo or mistake. Hey, the guy we knows what he's talking about. Two people saying Jeff here. is the best in the same show. That, that can't be. Yes, can't be right. but he knows what he's talking yeah. about, so... <laughs> Alright, so a lot of discussion about the joysticks here and the trackballs and our take on the trackballs. You know, you try writing that poetry, man. That's all I gotta say. Hey, but, it uh, was a fun song. So, I, I mean, we're, we're here to have fun. So That's right. If our listening audience was looking for professionalism, you're listening to the wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> That's really not us. No. Yeah, exactly. But some of the criticism about the joysticks, I think we probably do need to address. Number one, quality on SciTech here. Now, I am a reader of internets. Jeff himself has had a, a, a SciTech stick go wonky on him. Them picking SciTech was, was a major concern for me. Uh, however, let me just say that I believe, first of all, in RSI's quality control people. Sandy, yeah, here's hats off to you. They are really the only manufacturer that stepped up and said, hey, we want to do this with you. They talked to Thrustmaster, uh, they talked to CH, and both of them declined really to, to step in and, and do this. So I think, I think it behooves us to make sure that our points, and I agree about the, I was concerned about the uh, um, screen being under the, the joystick as well. I think it needs to be uh, movable or placed in a different place. When you think about it, your hands are on the joystick, you know, 99% of the time and on the throttle uh, 50% of the time. So it, it really does need to at least be considered moved somewhere else. And I think we should let them know of our concerns and they can make that in the design. None of this has been fully designed yet. So we have plenty of time to raise those questions. 
I'm also hoping they'll step up and use good sensors like hall sensors. If it doesn't pass muster, it's not going to come out or go back to the drawing board. I hope you're right. I mean, I hope that does they do take feedback into account when they actually start, you know, prototyping this thing. And I'm sure they will. They want to. I think the idea is that they're going to sort of crowdsource the prototyping of this thing as well and let people, you know, comment on their on their uh, design phases. I read an article where a guy took a trackball apart and then sort of Frankenstein mounted it to a joystick and then Frankenstein mounted it to a throttle and said having it on the throttle was better for the concerns we had uh, that were uh, uh, brought out by Krell. His point being that if you're a mouse user or a trackball user, you just have to put the reticle over the target and, you know, and hit the fire button. And that's true. But I'll tell you as a trackball user that there are times when I wish I could separate the steering function from the weapons tracking function. And I think that's where having the trackball on the throttle hand to let you make those fine reticle over target adjustments, but still have access to the joystick to be able to orient your ship the way that you want it to go. I think that actually is going to be the best setup. And then the trackball on the joystick would be more for, you know, that might be a strafing function rather than an aiming function. Just instinctually and, and with my hours and hours and hours of Elite Dangerous play, I think that that setup actually is going to be the best. I would, however, like them to revisit the whole manual aimed gimbal thing. Much like Elite Dangerous, I think they should have an option where the gimbals will auto-aim to a certain degree. They have already said that. There was a whole design post about how the weapon sizes are going to be changing, and so you could get a size 5 gun or a 4 plus an AI module. Right, but does the AI module aim your gimbal for you? That's the way that the document was written, yeah. The AI module is uh, effectively having an NPC on the gimbal gun. Oh, okay. And the trade-off for that is if it's a size 5 slot, you can either put a size 5 manual gimbal in there, or you could put a size 4 plus an AI module in there. So the manual gimbal has the greater firing capacity of the size 5 gun. A couple of points I want to address on this, though, is the thing about the trackballs not recentering. Yeah, the ball itself does not recenter, but you can solve that easily with software. You know, if the trigger hasn't been pressed for, I don't know, two seconds or whatever, then just realign it back to the center. That's all it needs to do. Once it's not in use, come back to the middle. And on the screen being underneath the joystick, the other thing to sort of bear in mind is that this game isn't just dogfighting. Yes, if you were expected to interact with the screen underneath the joystick whilst you're dogfighting, that's annoying design. What about when you're hauling cargo, when you're going from system to system, you know, it could just display how much fuel you've got. It doesn't need to necessarily be highly interactive and a, a required component of the Twitch gaming aspect of Star Citizen. There are a lot of other functionalities that could be useful, you know, fly out to somewhere, use a mining laser. Maybe that type of thing is on there. You can operate the power levels or whatever. Yeah, but I'm, I'm hoping that the display uh, details a lot. And even though I want to look at it, I won't be able to see it with my hands on the joystick. And I think that's, I think it's not only the interaction, but the readouts or the different readouts that we could get into it, which is why I wanted the tablet uh, API. I think the whole placement of the screen is going to be a real killer if they don't take into that consideration. And one thing I want to say about trackballs is that bring on the trackballs. Put three or four of them on there. The fact is I've got a warthog here that I don't use every single button. I don't have to use it or set it up. But I may in the future. 
having those inputs available to me is wonderful because something may come along and I may assign a new button to it or, or a new function to it. So, you know, maybe I put my landing switch over onto a trackball and I'm just gently going sideways or... Yeah, little nudges, little yeah, thrust nudges. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody says you have to use the trackball. And I, I would hate to see them take away something because there are some that don't think they're ever going to use it or don't want it and not have it available to us rather than put everything on the joist on this setup as you can and then we'll figure out how we're going to use it. Within reason. We don't want it to break. Right. Of course. We want it to actually work, yeah. If I remember the the presentation of this, the one thing about the quality, they were going to put this in die cast and, and steel, not the plastic flimsy Cytec X52 and X55 stuff that we've seen prior. So that could be another bonus too. Our new patrons this week is David Carey. And the winner of a brand new patch is Sean Newboy. Wow, congratulations, Sean. Reminder that at a $5 level, you get a patch just for backing at that level. You can still win randomly, however, no matter what level you're at. Thanks very much for the pledge. We'll put it to good use. And a reminder of this week's community question. Did you see your ship on the big list? And if you saw your ship, has it made the progress you were hoping for? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post in our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. So, how was the show? Did it come with everything you hoped for, or should we consider dropping a few modules? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. You can subscribe at feeds.guardfrequency.com, or you can find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 85 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 86 on September 1st, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down, you can also use the contact form on our website. And all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? You want to help us make the best damn space and podcast ever? If so, just send a note to squawkatguardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister publications. Priority One covers Star Trek Online and the greater Star Trek universe. And our latest show, On Screen, takes a Mystery Science Theater 3000-esque look at Star Trek, the original series. Head on over to PriorityOnePodcast.com and OnScreenPodcast.com to check them out. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Shibbery Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Shorten Edwards, and our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Down to 330, carry 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard.
Although the tech hasn't been finalized, the guys used a new system to combine the guys knew that. Although the tech hasn't been finalized, the guys do <sighs> Hang on. I need to figure out what I'm trying to say here. Well, Although right. the tech Yeah. Go go Lennon. Go Lennon. Go. Although the tech has <laughs> <laughs> Jeff gets revenge. Yeah. Yes! Remember Jeff, I control the bloopers. <laughs> yeah, just the fact that it is good that I sorry. Oh, sure thing, Mr. Foreman. The shape of the tooling is designed to allow you to hold it. <laughs> and don't forget anything and everything seen in the Pledge VD stores. <laughs> VD is always funny. Uh, can't... It's never not funny. Gathelin. I already said it once. I should be able to say it. I am not the only oh, one that can butcher a name. No. Stay classy, you freaky freaks.